Well, again, I want to welcome you to the second Sunday of Lent. And Lent is a period of time, 40 days actually, leading up to Easter. And it started out as a time when Christians could prepare uh, and anticipate the joy of Jesus' resurrection. And traditionally, this has been a season of prayer, of fasting. Uh, The old-fashioned word is almsgiving, so that's just caring for the poor, uh, giving gifts. And I introduced last week this whole concept, this whole idea, idea of pilgrimage. And it wasn't, you know, in the United States, it wasn't just the pilgrims that went on pilgrimage. But I know that that's probably not a common word for any of us that we ever use in daily, maybe that we've ever used in daily language. But the whole idea of pilgrimage has a rich history for Christians. And actually even Jesus himself Jesus, his family, they went on a pilgrimage every year during Passover. They left Nazareth and they walked for three solid days it took them to get to Jerusalem to celebrate that festival. It was uh, this really rich and wonderful time where people gathered. And they were there for a significant reason because of Israel's own pilgrimage, the time that was marked by God's deliverance of them out of Egypt to the promised land. And so Uh, Over the years, this whole idea or this concept has stayed alive, especially in the uh, Christian church. I think it's probably more common for our Greek Orthodox or Orthodox um, um, brothers and sisters and also for Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. But uh, I love the definition that Peter Grieg, who is the author of the the prayer experience that we just went through this morning, he defines it at this as uh, pilgrimage as, as this. He says, it's hard to think of a better def- definition than a costly journey to a significant location searching for Jesus. And so as we journey through this season of Lent, that's what we're doing. We're searching for Jesus, not because he's lost, but because maybe we've lost him. In our own life, maybe not. Maybe we're on a spiritual mountaintop right now and uh, faith is easy. And if you find yourself there, that's wonderful. I'd like to spend time with you. Hopefully that will rub off on me, right? Um, But God puts people in our midst that uh, when some of us are low, uh, in a very authentic way, we can move alongside those others who really uh, feel strong in their faith right now. And that's not in a, a judgmental way or the you should be like that way. It's just an acknowledgement of the ups and the downs and the seasons of our life. And so last week we began a new sermon series on prayer. Prayer is essential for people of faith and as followers of Christ. We have this full and wonderful tradition of prayer modeled by Jesus himself. Jesus prayed. If we read between the lines of the Gospels, We see that he prayed a lot. And if I wanted to learn to pray, what can I learn from Jesus? How can I pray like him? Last week we learned that Jesus prays on the go, which is helpful to people like us. Living 2,000 years later in a land far, far away from Jesus, in a time and culture that seems in perpetual motion, when does it, Or when will it, and by it I mean our lives, ever slow down? When will we feel like we've caught up? 
or that we're able to, you know, that life isn't just coming too fast. Where are all the surprises? You know, as I wrote that this week, I was like, maybe I need a Sabbath, right? That old-fashioned idea of intentionally ceasing, that really has merit for people like us. But that's another message for another day. What we see in the life of Jesus is the merging both of lots and lots of daily activity and a regular practice, really a rhythm of prayer. Jesus was often returning from lonely places where he prayed. And he was inviting his disciples to join him in prayer in the midst of this really, really, really hectic pace. So in Jesus, we see a certain attitude towards busyness and also towards prayer. Last week I said, I really doubt he was trying to squeeze more prayer into his already busy life. No, I believe Jesus was squeezing more life into and around his prayers. So how can we start to do that? It's a fundamental shift, at least for me. It means I have to be more disciplined, more intentional, but maybe not. You know, I always get a kick out of uh, our, my news feed or if I'm on the internet or something, and it's always the clickbait stuff, right, where it's like, it says, um, you know, learn this simple hack and it will change your life. You know, here's how to get past go for free, right? A way to kind of shortcut, a shortcut a really long process and, and not have to put as much into it and get it. You know, I always, it's always funny. It's like, learn the simple hack and never change your car's oil again, right? I mean, it's always something really ridiculous, but I can't resist. I always have to, well, I want to learn. And it's a Tesla commercial, you know? It's like, here's how you do it, right? No, this is supposed to be a shortcut, not something that was monetized. I get off track. So are there any prayer hacks that we could use, a way to get what we want with less effort? Probably not. Often there's no substitute for good old-fashioned discipline. But discipline isn't just trying harder. Discipline isn't meant to feel like a straight jacket. Discipline is more like a trellis that helps something you want grow. Just yesterday, I was out in my yard. This is like the first time, this is the soonest this has happened in my life and that I can remember. It's usually about May that I'm thinking, I should have pruned all of the trees, like the fruit trees or the, the blueberries or the whatever's going to bear fruit. This I should have done that a couple months ago. But this weekend, I found myself pruning in my yard, pears, apple trees, cherries. Um, it was really wonderful. And so it's this idea of like discipline is like that trellis, the supporting structure. Because in my trees, they happen to be uh, espaliered, which means they grow, I'm trying to grow them on wires, okay? It's just too simple to grow them like a tree. I decided I wanted to try something different. I'm growing them on wires. We'll see how this works out. But to do that, you have to have something that supports the branches. Discipline in our life is like that. It leads to freedom, not to more structure. So that's a really helpful way to think about our own spiritual disciplines, disciplines like prayer. Like there might be some intentional effort and a learning curve involved in, in getting into the habit or rhythm of prayer, 
But there's a payoff. It's freedom. It's closeness to the Lord. It's uh, fruit that he's going to bear in our own life. And so as we talk about praying like Jesus, it might start with lots of effort and trying to jam prayer into an already busy life. But the goal is really to see our whole life as prayer. We're living our day in the presence of God. We bring our whole selves, our emotions, our desires, our struggles, our experiences to him. And we're building on our connection and our relationship with the Lord. This is the journey that we're on together. And so today, we're going to build on this whole idea of Jesus praying on the, on the go. Uh, kind of lesson two in this series is Jesus prays for us. And the technical word, Jesus praying for us, is called interceding. Interceding has the basic meaning of speaking to someone on behalf of someone else. It's kind of like the messenger, the go-between. I'm going to speak for someone on behalf or to someone on behalf of someone else. And when I was younger, I remember learning a little acronym uh, in Sunday school of this is how you pray. And, you know, one of my Sunday school teachers, I'm sure, just drilled this into me because I still remember it. And it, it's, a, it's a little acronym. I know that some of you have learned this too. Uh, the acronym is CATS, C-A-T-S. And those letters each stand for something. The first one's confession, then it's adoration, then it's thanksgiving, then it's supplication. I know some of you, you're nodding your heads. You've learned this too. And so, you know, I would sit, I would say, okay, so it's time to pray. And I would sit down and I would start with confession. I would say, I'm sorry, Lord, for hitting my sister, right? And I'd move really quickly into adoration, which I had no idea what that was. So I'd just say, God, you're great. And then Thanksgiving, I would feel a little more creative. You know, I would, I would actually thank God for my dogs and cats and my mom and my dad. And, you know, I, I mean, that's, it's Thanksgiving. Okay, I can, I can conceptualize this. And then I would get to the whole thing that I was waiting for in the first place. Supplication. God, I need fill in the blank, right? When you ask people what prayer is, I would guess the vast majority of, of us would say it's that last piece, right? It's the supplication. When do I ask God? When can I make requests uh, for what I need? That's where the whole idea of interceding fits in. And instead of just asking things uh, uh, for myself, the focus moves off me, and I start asking God, um, you know, on behalf of others. Things that I hear people say, hey, please remember to pray for me, fill in the blank. So now, I rarely, if ever, think through the letters of cats when I pray. Uh, for a long, long time, I, I thought that the best, you know, the, the best method or the standard operating procedure when you pray was you're supposed to have this long, long list that you were keeping track of, you know, throughout the week of prayer requests that people would give you. In fact, I, I would even sometimes I would stop and I would find my little list and write it down and then think, I'll pray about that later. And then I had this really crazy idea. Instead of taking all the time to write it down, why don't I just pray for that right now? What a concept, right? And so over the years, I would say that less and less and less and less and less do I have a scheduled 
prayer time where I sit down and I pray for this list of things that uh, are in other people's lives. Instead, as the Holy Spirit brings that to mind, I lift them up in prayer. However, the other thing, those first three letters that I just kind of hurried through, I find more and more and more and more. That's the part of prayer that I need and I want. That's the, that's the thing that I actually have to make an effort or be intentional about, about doing. I was talking about this whole thing with Phil Manili a couple weeks ago. And immediately he kind of looks me over and he says, I never think about cats when I pray. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. I appreciate that. And then he said, I learned it a different way. I learned acts. Adoration is supposed to come first and then confession. And I just thought, there's just a whole lot more sin in my life, Phil. Like I have to start with <laughs> confession. I guess just clear the deck. You don't have to. But whatever it is, cats or acts or something else, the, the little app that I use this morning, they use pray. You know, you pause, you reflect, you find one. If, if you're thinking, where do I start? This is just, I just don't even know. Find one of those, thing, those things and do it. Like discipline yourself, set aside the time, go through the letters, whatever. Something sticks when you start to do that. And why wouldn't God want to honor someone who's being intentional about connecting with him? Of course he would. But naturally, prayer is a very general term. There's any number of methods, practices, styles, triggers for prayer. It's definitely more art and less science. I like how the Bible study um, that the ladies are going through here called She Reads Truth, Prayers in Scripture, they, say, they define prayer this way. They say, prayer is essential for all believers in our journey of faith. How should we pray? What should we keep our mind or what... <laughs> What should we keep in mind as we, as we do pray? Practicing the art of prayer is one of the greatest rewards of following Jesus over the course of a lifetime. And so as we talk about intercession, intercession is a type, a style of prayer. It's a direct request to God for direction, for information, for intervention on his behalf. You know, another word for intercession, you could, you could call it petition or supplication. The difference being that intercession is usually for someone else. You know, you're, you're pouring your heart out. You're pleading to God to hear you and answer your prayer for this other situation or person. And as I mentioned before, I'd imagine that's what most people think of when they think of prayer. Asking God to guide. Asking God to intervene. But the biggest danger of focusing on just simply intercession is that you can get stuck in a rut. You can only talk to God when you need something. And while it would be really easy to me, for me as your pastor to say, stop doing that. I don't want you to stop doing that. I think the awareness of, oh, prayer is more than just asking God for what I need. Once you realize that, I want to tell you to pray more and more and more and more. 
Because that becomes a trigger for including the other aspects of a very healthy prayer life. Yeah, pray God, would you heal so-and-so's broken arm? And that becomes the trigger for you to say, because God or Jesus, I know you're the great physician. Lord, you do heal us. And maybe the next thing is a confession. But sometimes I have big doubts. Will you answer this prayer? I, I, you, just, you, start to, you just go with it. Lord, you are so great and awesome. You created us in an immune system. Strengthen it to fight off. In fact, I mean, you see how that works? Don't just shame yourself into saying, I shouldn't just continue to pray only when I have something to ask God for. No, do that and include other sorts and styles and aspects of prayer. The question isn't how do we pray? The question is really why. The why has to do with our relationship and developing that connection and that depth that we have with the Lord. So some groups of Christians, you know, intercession takes on kind of formal status. You know, there are people who actually will call themselves uh, intercessors, meaning they devote themselves to regularly pray for other, others' needs. And of course, I would constantly approve of anyone who wants to devote themselves to the task of prayer. But I've, I've been in those circles of Christians before, and sometimes it makes me uncomfortable, right? In fact, it starts to feel a little bit like, um, it's like the relationship between weightlifting and bodybuilding. Lifting weights is great, but if you only focus on one muscle, it starts to look a little weird. Amen? We want to move past an idea of prayer that's just constantly like lifting up uh, our needs and others' needs. Even though that's good and great, we should all keep doing that. And we want to diversify our type of prayer, I guess is what I would say. Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray to God our Father. That's who we're praying to. And Jesus teaches his disciples this when they ask him to teach them how to pray. Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. And when Jesus addresses God as Father in the Lord's Prayer, he uses a very specific word. And I would bet that some of you are going to get this wrong, right? He says Abba. Wrong. He says Pater in Greek. Uh, he also addresses God as Abba, but that doesn't come until much later, the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested and crucified. And um, that word, Abba, is Aramaic. It means dad. It has this really incredible kind of um, intimate relational aspect. So it's almost odd that Jesus would be referring to God or, or talking to God that way, his father. But we're going to talk about that more in a couple weeks. I want to talk about potter. So potter is a very specific role in someone's life. Uh, a potter is someone who, I mean, it is a father, 
but it's a person who actually has earned or, or deserves your respect. This is always really difficult in any sort of setting when we start talking about God as Father. Because all of us carry around a truckload of baggage and hurt from the relationships that we have or don't have with our own earthly fathers. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus teaches us to address God as Father. And maybe having a heavenly Father can help in a way to heal, maybe even redeem the pain we might have towards our human one. But when we pray to our Heavenly Father, what happens? What happens when we pray to God? I know some of you are thinking, nothing, right? It doesn't feel like anything happens. Uh, I remember some people talking about their times of prayer, and it's like, you know, it's like fireworks are going off in their mind. It's this incredible, nearly out-of-body experience every time they enter prayer. And whenever I, you know, I would hear that in the past, and I would think, that never happens to me. Is there something wrong? What, what do I need to do? How do I have that sort of experience? Over the years, I've realized that my experience of prayer, actually just my relationship with God, it might have similarities and common threads with other brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're all different. Our personalities, our seasons of life, the intensity level is different based on a whole bunch of different things. You know, I, I might not feel fireworks when I'm, you know, in public prayer or whatever, but I can sit in the woods for a really, really long time and feel like I'm basking in the presence of God. And I've heard other people say, that is just a complete, utter waste of time, right? I want to I connect with God this way. That's okay. That's okay. We all have different expectations and different experiences. There's no one size fits all. But what happens when we pray, no matter how we pray, is that God listens to us. And he listens because he loves us and because of our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And over the next couple minutes, I'm going to share a handful of scripture passages that kind of have overlapping themes about prayer, about what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing for us. Uh, passages about the nature of his relationship or the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, I just want you to know up front that some of these are going to come rapid fire. I could probably do a whole sermon on each passage, but I'm not. I want you to see the brush strokes here of what's happening when we pray. So the first one is 1 John 5, 13 through 15. Melanie read it at the beginning of the service. This is the Apostle John, and he writes to his readers and says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So let me draw your attention to the little phrase there. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. According to his will. What does that mean? Well, that means that all of my prayers to win the lottery, maybe God hasn't heard those. (laughs) Right? No, there are things that are not in our best long-term interest. And that's not God's will. God knows that. But don't get hung hung up on on the phrase, according to his will. Instead, get hung up on the phrase, God hears us. He hears us. When we decide to follow Christ, we have access to God our Father. We can approach him in confidence, knowing he hears us. How does he ever do that? This is the only point in any message I've ever given when the Sunday school answer is correct. That's not true. It's not the only time. How does God hear us? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus gives us access to God like no one else. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this passage is dripping with theological language and concepts. People like me nerd out over stuff like this. But I want you to notice the thing that's said about Jesus. He's described as the great high priest. What does a priest do for you? A priest mediates between God and us. So why would it matter that Jesus is the great high priest? Well, in the days of the Jerusalem temple, the high priest was the only person allowed to enter the most holy of holies where the physical presence of God was manifest uh, for a time above the Ark of the Covenant. And then uh, when the Babylonians invaded and they had to rebuild the temple later, the Ark was gone. But there was this space inside the temple called the Holy of Holies. One person went in there one time a year. And uh, that was on the day that still celebrated Yom Kippur. And the high priest would confess his sin, the sins of Israel. He'd offer a sacrifice and sprinkle the, the blood of that sacrifice on the ark or in that space. This would provide atonement for the people of Israel. So when Jesus was crucified... The Gospel of Matthew records at that moment when Jesus died on the cross, there was a curtain that separates the, in the inside of the temple. There's two sections. There's the holy place and the holy of holies. There's a curtain that went in between. And by curtain, I mean it was like 30 feet tall and 30 feet wide. And Josephus, the Roman historian of that era or that day, he said it was as wide as your hand. So we're talking four or five inches wide. That curtain, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, tore in two. 
This was symbolic, of course. Symbolic of God's presence. No longer going to be contained in that space. But also symbolic of the access that all of us, through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, now have to God's presence. Hear the words of Hebrews 7. Now that there have been many, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Or 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Or Romans 8, verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I could go on. Notice what all of these passages have in common. That Jesus is with God, interceding on our behalf. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, says the Apostle Paul. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, when we pray, it's like we have an all-access pass to the Lord Almighty. And even if we're not sure of what to say, it doesn't matter. God's Spirit, who we've welcomed inside of us when we put our faith in Christ, He's going to help us find the words or groans that we need to express ourselves. And there are definitely moments in life when words escape us. We just don't know what to say. M moments of grief, of sorrow, loss, moments of pain, heartache, but also moments of joy, of peace, of celebration. And so when you pray, if you're not sure what to say, pray anyway. Because Jesus prays for us. And as we bring our lives and our emotions and our whatever it is that's going on in our life, and we say, here's this mess, Lord. Can you do something with it? Yes. That is a holy and sacred moment that Christ takes very seriously. He died once for us for all time. And because of him, we have access to God like no one else has had before. So let us pray. Let us sit in silence. Let us use words. Let us think. 
however it may be, throughout your day, on the road commuting to work, uh, right after you wake up in the morning, right before you go to bed, over your lunch break, I don't know, pray. The Lord is with you. Please join me in prayer. God, help us to approach your throne with confidence so that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Lord, we're such, um, I mean, you know us. We, we need lots of help. And especially when it comes to things like prayer, we want to pray. We want to be better at praying. But so often we get tripped up on just the whole idea of how. How do I pray? What's the right way? Help us to move past that. Help us to recognize that why we're praying is simply to just enter your presence uh, consciously, intentionally, but also knowing that our whole life is lived before you, Lord. Help us to pray. We are so grateful. We are so thankful, Lord, that you pray for us. We say this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.